Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Woo! What a morning this morning so far, huh? Yeah. Hey, we're going to talk about Jesus this morning. You guys ready for that? I'm ready for that. Hey, we're going to dig into the Word a lot today, so if you're, uh, if you're someone who likes to follow along in the, in the book itself, the, the words will be up on the screen, but we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to be in Luke, uh, Luke uh, chapter 10, we're also going to be in Mark chapter 6, just to give you a heads up. Uh, but because of that, I mean, we really need to pray, so let's, let's pray, okay, let's do that. Father God, I just thank you so much uh, for today, I thank you for all that you've got going on, I thank you for this church and all that we've got going on. Uh, Lord, may it be pleasing to you. God, as we open up your word today and as we are challenged by it, I pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to it. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come into this place. And I pray, God, that your words are spoken here this morning and not mine. And all God's people said, amen. I got to tell you, I'm a bit jealous here this morning. Uh, I'm a bit jealous of... uh, of these young kids from Watoto, not just because of those dance moves. Uh, man, I wish I could dance like that. Um, but uh, I'm a bit jealous of those young kids. I'm a bit jealous of these, these teens uh, that tomorrow morning, uh, those adults and myself, uh, we're going with those teens to, to Philly at 6 a.m. We're, we're doing a, a whole lot of ministry in, in downtown Philly in the areas of West Philly and North Philly. Uh, where we're going into city parks where a bunch of kids and teens are abandoned uh, for the day because of uh, uh, parents who are either addicts or, or, or even good parents who, who just got to work but they can't afford child care. Uh, we're going into battered women's shelters. We're going into homeless shelters. Uh, we're going into homes for uh, the mentally challenged and uh, homes for the elderly. Uh, we're doing a whole lot of different work. And, and I got to tell you, I'm just really jealous. I'm jealous of uh, all these young people up here because that was not me. That was not me when I was their age. In fact, I'm jealous of most of the teens in all of our youth ministries. There's, there's a, a camp right now going on in middle school ministry. I don't know if you know that. Like 70, 70 80 kids right now are down with Robbie in middle school ministry. And I, I, I'm, I'm real jealous because that was not me. I was living a whole different life. But these kids, I mean, you heard this young girl here this morning. She said the past is gone and there is a, a new life for her. There's something new, as our scripture focus was this morning. A new life, a new identity found in Christ. As I've discovered in our youth ministries, there's a, a, a new identity that these teens are discovering in Christ. You know, and I, I didn't know the Lord, or at least I didn't know the Lord in the way that our teens do. I was living a whole different life. That's why, that's why I love what I get to do. I love that I get to work with teenagers. I love that I get to be a witness to, to seeing them 
come to know the Lord and experience a whole different way of living, a changed life, a new life. I love that I get to witness them go out to places locally, but also places like Philadelphia and experience the fruit of that type of ministry. And although they believe that they're going out to change people's lives, what they end up doing is experiencing a whole new changed life themselves when they return. I love that I get to witness that. And you know, sometimes people will come up to me and they'll say, God bless you, Doug. I, I don't know how you work with that particular age group, which is code for, I don't know how you can stand working with teenagers, you know. And when people say to me, I don't know how you can work with teenagers, my retort is always, well, I don't know how you can work with adults, right? Because adults are so immature and selfish, aren't we? I mean, we are. We are immature and selfish. We all are sinners. We all fall short. And if we're honest, you know, our culture often gives teenagers a bad rap, kind of look down on teenagers from time to time. But did you know that uh, most scholars, most scholars believe that Jesus' 12 disciples were teenagers? Now, we know that Peter was an adult and he was married, and, and we know that Matthew was an adult due to his previous profession, uh, tax collecting. But most scholars believe that many of Jesus' 12 disciples were teens, making Jesus the very first youth pastor. So I'm in the right line of work, I think, you know. Unfortunately, there's no way to go back in time and check, you know, all of their driver's licenses to check out their actual age. But there's a lot of evidence in the Bible that points to the majority of his crew being teens. Now, I could share with you some biblical inductive reasoning that points to the disciples, at least most of them, being teens. I could share with you that, that only Jesus and Peter were required to pay the temple tax that was required for anyone over the age of 20, meaning that the rest of them had to be uh, under the age of 21. I could share with you that James and John were, were fishing with their father when, when Jesus first called them to follow him, uh, which means we can assume that, that they were, were learning the trade of their father as good teenagers would do back then. I could also share with you that if John was not a very, very young teenager when he followed Jesus, that that would make him at least a hundred years old when he wrote the book of Revelation, if he would have been an adult. But I don't want to share any of those things with you this morning. Instead, what I would rather do is I'd rather dust something off the shelf that I shared with this church a few years back. And I'd rather share with you Doug's top five reasons that most of the disciples were teens. Are you ready? Here's my top five reasons why I believe that most of the disciples were teens. Number one, the disciples were obsessively concerned about food. They were obsessively concerned about food. When was their next meal going to be? Who was going to provide it? When were they going to eat? At one point, they actually ditched Jesus with the woman at the well so that they could go and find some lunch. And when Jesus was ministering to 5,000 plus people, the disciples wanted to send everyone home so that they could get something to eat. And after Jesus had done all of these miracles, essentially pro providing food out of thin air 
the disciples began to argue in a boat on their way home about where they were going to get food because one of them had forgot to bring something for dinner that night. Okay? So the first reason why I believe the disciples were teenagers is because they were obsessively concerned about food. Here's the second reason. They were constantly showing their immaturity by always putting their foot in their mouths. Okay? They, they would say some, some pretty dumb things from time to time. They, they would... Uh, they would say some foolish things from time to time. And, and there, was, there was even one time when a, a town refused to, to welcome Jesus and his disciples in. And so, you know, a couple of the disciples came up to Jesus and said, Lord, should we fire, should we call fire down from heaven and destroy the town, right? You know, it's something, you know, young people would say. You know, they refuse to see us, so let's just blow them up, you know? And they were, they were constantly putting their foot in their mouths. Here's number three. I think a lot of you parents can relate to this. They couldn't get out of bed, okay? They couldn't get out of bed. When the disciples were caught sleeping on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus tried waking them up three different times, okay? Any parents here want to give a testimony about trying to wake your teenagers up maybe three or four different times in order to get them to school? Okay, the disciples couldn't get out of bed. Number four, uh, their biggest argument of all time, they were arguing about this all the time, is which one of them was cooler, okay? Which one of them was cooler? In other words, which one of them was the best or who was going to be the greatest among them? They were fighting about that constantly. And that leads me to my absolute favorite one. In Matthew chapter 20, when Jesus refused to call one of them the greatest and put one of them at the top of the class, James and John's mom came down to have a parent-teacher meeting with Jesus to insist that Jesus places her boys at his left and at his right hand once they get to heaven, okay? Number five is that their mom fought their battles for them, okay? So these are Doug's, Doug's top five reasons why I believe that most of the disciples were teens. But gang, Honestly, most of the disciples were teenagers, and Jesus was their youth pastor. Now, why would Jesus pick a group of mostly teens to change the world? Why would he do that? Well, I know that I'm biased, but I can't think, honestly, of a better group of people to recruit if you're trying to change the world. They're old enough to reason, yet they're young enough that their worldview is still impressionable, still teachable. They're full of passion and desire, and they're desperate to be part of something big. They're optimistic and wide-eyed as they look toward the future. I think teenagers are ideal candidates for spreading transformation. You see, these teens that I work with, they have discovered that they are a new creation. They are a new creation through their relationship with Jesus Christ, and their mission is to share Jesus' message with the world. And that's our scripture focus this morning in 2 Corinthians 5. Beginning in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old life is gone. The new is here. Are any of you looking for a new lease on life here this morning? If you've yet to begin a relationship with Christ, the Bible promises you a new life. Life. Let me tell you, it took me 
20 years to get that, to understand that, to understand that the way I was living was living trapped in a maze, that I was doing the same thing over and over and over again that led to a dead end and a dead end and a dead end until I began a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there was a new way of living, a new life for me. When you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. I've seen miracles happen in people's lives. I've seen my father do a 180 degree change, a new man. I've met with people in my office who have been new creations, completely new people because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your old life is gone and you have a new life to live. If that's you in this room, I would just encourage you to speak to one of us here this morning. Pray with somebody here at the rails this morning before you leave here today. A new creation. But I wonder though, if you're like me, and maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and you're like me and sometimes you find yourself falling into some of the same old patterns of living. I wonder if just sometimes you look at your life with Christ today and you look at your life before Christ and you say, you know, you know, there, there was this time. There was this time that I felt like a new creation. But now I kind of feel like that new life is starting to look kind of similar to that old life. Have you fallen into the same old pattern of living? You see, the key to experiencing the difference, the key to experiencing the difference of this new life is revealed in the next verses. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, meaning we are to go out as though God were making his appeal through us. That's what these teens are going to do tomorrow morning. So as we're sending them out tomorrow morning on a mission trip, let me share with you how this is perfectly illustrated through the second ever mission trip to be sent out. We could find this in the book of Luke chapter 10. We see that Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples to go on mission. They were to spread the message of Jesus to a whole bunch of towns that he was going to visit later. In Luke 10, beginning in verse 2, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Can I tell you how true that statement is? We are hurting here at this church gang. We are. We are hurting here. Did you know that not all of the teens who are going on the mission trip with us could be up here to be commissioned here this morning because many of them are working downstairs in kids ministry right now? That's how shorthanded we are. Can you pray for our church? Can you pray that the Lord will send more workers? Jesus goes on. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. 
Man, lambs among wolves, that doesn't sound very comfortable. Don't take any, any money with you. Don't, don't take a, a, a backpack. Don't take an extra pair of clothes. Don't take a, an extra pair of shoes. Talk about stepping out of your comfort zone. Why would Jesus urge these guys to step so far out of their comfort zone? Because when you're in your comfort zone, you rely upon your own power. But when you step out of your comfort zone, you have no choice but to rely upon God's power. Let me ask you, whose power have you been relying upon lately? I love this next part. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to Jesus, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. See, when they returned, they were pumped. They were excited to tell Jesus about all these amazing things that God has done through them on this mission trip of theirs. But their excitement doesn't even compare to Jesus' excitement on their return. Now, it's difficult to translate emotion through text, but this is the most excited that I have ever seen Jesus through all of the Bible. Verse 18, Jesus says, yes, yes, he told them. On Friday, I took my kids to see Toy Story 4. Great movie. On Friday afternoon, the kids said, hey, what are we doing tonight? And I said, I'm taking you to see Toy Story 4. Kira says, yes. Right? You ever seen that? Yes. And that's what I imagine Jesus did here. He says, yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Then filled with that same joy and excitement, Jesus prays to Father God, and in doing so, he reveals something hidden to us. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and he said, O oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Jesus explains a profound truth about the kingdom of God to his disciples after he prays. They get alone, and he says this. Then when they were alone, he turned to the disciples and he said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen, I tell you that many prophets, those are people that, that God chose and used for ministry and to spread his word. I tell you that many prophets and kings longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you heard, but they didn't hear it. Gang, there are things about God and his kingdom that are only revealed when we are mission-minded. So whether it's serving in the church, whether it's loving your unlovable neighbor, whether it's local missions here in this city, or whether it's mission trips like Philly or the Dominican Republic or abroad, or whether it's just a ministry to others, 
There is an entire world of the kingdom of God that you will never, ever experience until you go out and live out the scriptures and become mission-minded. It's like that father that says to his son, go and clean your room. And the son goes off. And he's off for a period of time, and then he comes back to dad, and he says, dad, I've done it. I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room. And the dad says, great, did you do it? And he said, no, but I I memorized it. I memorized what you said. You said, go and clean your room. And the dad's real frustrated. He said, go do it. Then go do it then. So So the son runs off for another period of time. He's gone for a long while this time. And then he comes back to dad and he goes, dad, I did it this time. I did it. I got a group of my friends together and we sat around and we had a wonderful discussion of what it would be like if I cleaned my room. And it was wonderful. It was very moving, and we discussed all different aspects of it. It was super moving, and we discussed what it would be like if I cleaned my room. And the dad gets even more frustrated. He said, but did you clean it? And the son says, well, no, 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 but it was a moving discussion. You would be very pleased with us. And so he sends his son off to go, again to go clean the room. And after a really, really long period of time, the son comes back again, and, he, and the son says, dad, I, I've got it this time. I've really got it. We formed a committee. We formed a committee, and we have a plan, and we've delegated tasks, and we've declared some measurable benchmarks, and we believe that in two years' time, my room shall be clean. Now, memorizing Scripture is extraordinarily important. Bible study in small groups, extremely important. And it's really important to have a strategic plan to get things done. Right, But if all we're doing is sitting around and talking about things and not doing them, we are missing out on this whole world, this whole world that God has for us. But don't worry. The disciples didn't get it at first either. That's why I started with the second mission trip, because there was a first one. The first mission trip can be found in Luke 9 and Matthew 10 and also in Mark 6. This is what happened right after just 12, the the core 12 disciples or apostles returned from their very first mission trip. In Mark 6, verse 30, this is what it says, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. They were excited. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Now I've got a a map here to show you of the Sea of Galilee. And you see this northern part of the Sea of Galilee. On the left there is Capernaum. And around Capernaum are a whole bunch of towns. And in this area is, is some of the hometowns of most of the disciples, especially Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who were fishermen, and this is where their fishing business was. And this is where a whole lot of ministry 
of Jesus and the disciples was done. So when we read about a lot of different ministry things that would happen and a lot of different large group teaching that would happen, a lot of different miracles that would happen, that's a, a lot of times it would happen in that area. But then we would often read about times that Jesus would invest or have some private teaching with just the core 12. And that would happen over here on the right in, in Jesus' kind of private camp. You see, and Peter still had his fishing boat. And so they would get on the boat in the evenings after the day of ministry would be done, and they would go across the lake, and they would have this very special small group time with Jesus. And whether it was in a little home or around the campfire, right, they would, they would eat together, and they would have this special small group time, and Jesus would, would invest in his core twelve. And that's why we often read a lot of stories about Jesus and his disciples on the boat, because they would be going back and forth and back and forth, doing ministry and doing their time together and doing ministry and doing their time together. And so they came back from their first mission trip. They're very excited. And then Jesus says, well, let's, let's go off and spend some time by ourselves. And so they get in the boat and they start to head over to Jesus' camp. But this is what happens in verse 33. But many people recognize them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped off the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So let's go back to that map for a second. So you see what happened is on the north part of the shore, the people from the town started running across the north part of the shore to catch up to Jesus and his disciples. And they started picking up more and more and more people until we reached over 5,000 of them. And they started running around. They, they eventually beat Jesus to the other part of the shore so that by the time Jesus and his disciples reached the other part of the shore, there was over 5,000 people waiting for him, and Jesus had compassion on them. Now, don't forget that these are people from the hometown of many of the disciples, especially Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And they're all waiting there for them. And Jesus, filled with compassion, began ministering to them, okay? He was compassionate for these people. They ran all the way around the lake, man. They need some help. But that's not how the, the disciples felt. The disciples were irritated, okay? They were excited to have their Jesus time. As we read earlier, they were hungry, and we know how the disciples felt about food, okay? They were tired, probably, of doing ministry. They just got back from this big mission trip, and they, they were tired, and they wanted to head back to their base camp. And so here, somewhere along the line, a few of these guys probably came up with this uh, smart idea, or what they thought was a good idea, to get out of doing this work and send these people home. In typical disciple fashion, they thought with their stomachs. And so in verse 35, this is what happens. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, Hey, you know, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Now, there's no McDonald's around or Pizza Hut. It's getting late at night, everybody's hungry. You know, let's send them home to get something to eat. And they're thinking to themselves, 
we're finally going to get our private Jesus time, our small group time with Jesus. And here's where Jesus throws the zinger in verse 37. But Jesus said, you feed them. That's a loaded statement. Jesus wasn't just talking about food. He was trying to teach his disciples that they need to care about helping these people. It's not just about the mission trip they went on, but it's about these people here at home as well. He was teaching them to turn their irritation into compassion. Now, this statement that they say next is what clues me into the disciples' irritation because they they give Jesus a little back talk. Maybe another reason why the disciples might be teens. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. So in verse 38, Jesus says, well, how much bread do you have? Before they can even answer, he says, go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. If you read that in another gospel, Andrew went and stole this kid's lunch. Five five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat them down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. Now let me ask you, who did the work? Jesus did the impossible. He multiplied the bread and the fish. But the disciples did the possible. They went out and they found the food. They divided the people into groups and they sat them down. They passed out the food. And then they cleaned up afterwards. Now these are not fun, glamorous jobs. But when the disciples were willing to do the work, the miraculous happened. When the disciples did the possible, God did the impossible. You get what I'm saying? When the disciples did the possible, God did the impossible. You see, I think there's two major lessons here for those of us who follow Jesus. Where do we need to develop compassion like Jesus had for those who ran around the lake? Where do you need to turn your irritations into compassion? You know, we often act like the disciples, and we, we, we go off on a mission trip like Philadelphia or the Dominican Republic, or we get really excited uh, to send off these mission trips. But here at home, we, we often ignore the ministry needs of those around us. You know, in your hands this morning is a volunteer card of some ministry needs. And although we have many ministry needs all over this church, I specifically chose some areas where we are really desperate here at this church to put into that cart. You know, kids' ministry, i got to be honest with you, is operating on a skeleton crew downstairs, comprised mostly of my high schoolers. Now, we can make things happen until we take a large group away on mission or until someone calls off sick or simply can't make it one week. And more than that, a ministry will never grow larger than its infrastructure. Meaning if we want to reach more families, we need more leaders down there. So to be honest with you, 
It's as big as it's going to get right now until we get more people down in kids' ministry. Summer day camp. Our summer day camp is full. Praise God. We filled up. It's full of kids. But our volunteers are at about two-thirds of where we normally are. Just to be honest with you, we need about 40 more volunteers to make summer day camp happen this year. We're concerned about how we're going to be able to make it happen because we need 40 more volunteers to make that happen. Our coffee bar and, and cafe outside, those, those folks are stretched pretty darn thin. Not only do the proceeds of those places go to some pretty important missions. The cafe goes to our local missions, Urban Impact, and the coffee bar goes to our abroad missions, places like the Dominican Republic and other mission opportunities that happen overseas. But can I tell you something else that's pretty important about both of those places is the visitor. To be able to have a meal with somebody from the church and connect with them or, or share a cup of coffee with somebody from the church and connect with them, to be new and be able to do that. You know, that's what I did when I visited this church. I had lunch with somebody and I connected with somebody and I thought, man, this place is awesome. This feels like home. I loved this church and it was over lunch that I fell in love with this church. The church office, you know, it takes a lot to make this church run smooth, to get worship folders in your hands, to answer lots of phone calls of people who need help. And if any of those areas on that card don't jump out at you, maybe God hasn't gifted you in that way, I get it. Maybe just write down your name and let us help you find a place where God has gifted you. But we need help. Develop compassion to help those of us in our hometown. Here's the second thing we could learn. Where can we learn to do the possible? You know, sometimes we get bogged down saying, I can't help these people. I'm not a pastor. I don't know what to do. That seems impossible. Well, let God worry about the impossible. That's not your job. You worry about the possible. Can you feed someone who's hungry? Can you make a cup of coffee for someone who's visiting the church and make them feel welcome? Can you clean up a mess that's not yours to clean up? Can you listen to someone who's going through a rough time? Just listen, not even give advice, but just listen. Can you give some time to a handful of children and love them the way that Jesus would? Can you befriend someone who feels lonely and unlovable? Can you do those things? That's possible. If you do the possible, God will show up and do the impossible. So let me close with this. Do you want to experience a changed life? Do you want to learn secret hidden things of the kingdom of God that are only revealed to those who are mission-minded? Do you want to live out the scriptures, not just read about them? you got to discover a need. Remember, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. You've got to step out of your comfort zone and rely on God's power, not your own. And you've got to do the possible so that God will show up and do the impossible. And I promise you that he'll start doing the impossible in your life too. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this church and I thank you for all the opportunities here. I thank you for the opportunities to grow. I thank you for the opportunities to worship. I thank you for the opportunities to serve. I thank you for the opportunities to go out and share your word. God, I pray that you would move us and challenge us, that we might become mission-minded, Lord, that we might be willing to step out of our comfort zone, to discover how you've gifted us, 
and to serve in some type of ministry, whether it's small or big, as you have called us to do. God, I specifically pray for a woman who helped me yesterday after spending many hours trying to get vans to go on this mission trip. This woman made it possible by getting me those vans that just didn't seem available. God, she was ministry-minded. God, may she experience that fruit. May she experience those hidden things. God, after a frustrating day, she loved me the way that you love. And she helped me and ministered to me in a way that she probably doesn't even know. God, I pray that you would bless her this week. And I pray that as we experience fruit in Philly, that that same type of fruit she will experience as well. May she know the ministry that she did, that Philly wouldn't even be possible if it wasn't for her getting us those vans. May we all be like her, finding ways to do the possible so that you could do the impossible, to simply figure out a way to get some people some vans, figure out a way to help someone, figure out a way to listen to someone who's in need, figure out a way to serve someone a cup of coffee or love some kids. And God, may we too be like those 72 disciples who returned from that mission trip, excited and pumped and hear from you and experience those hidden things that are only revealed to those who are mission-minded. Amen.